following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. We are here today to gather around God's Word one more time. Uh, brothers and sisters in faith, uh, plowing a little bit further into God's Word. Uh, we're going to get all the way up to page 3 in the Bible today. Only, I don't know how many more pages. I haven't looked to the end of the book. I have read to the end of the book. We come out winners, by the way. I, I hate to give, give up the, how the Bible actually ends. But we have a number of scripture readings today. And let's take a look at this first one. We're going to look at Genesis 3, 1 to 7. And you find it on, uh, it's page 3. And it, do we have a screen here with the scriptures for that or not? Is that in my sermon? Um, oh, okay. Well, Romans, okay. Uh, we'll get to them, okay? Don't worry about it. We'll just jump right into the message. How about that? And uh, this is page three. Uh, as Mark has uh, been reminding us uh, continually uh, for uh, some time, um, the Bible really makes no sense at all if you don't understand some of the first verses. In fact, if you can't get past in the beginning God created, nothing else in the Bible is going to make sense. You've got to start at that point to acknowledge that there's God, that it's God who does the creating, that he does all of those things. And, and, and indeed, you, the first two, three, four chapters of Genesis, if you get, can't get past those, you're not going to understand very much about Scripture as well. Uh, these verses and these chapters answer a very critical question you know, when I look at, look at the Scriptures, and that is, where did we come from and, and how did we get from where we started to where we are today? Because there's a big difference between Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in 2019 at Praise and Worship in Branson, Missouri. And, and the way I, that question is worded suggests that somewhere along the way there was a, uh, a massive change that took place in our universe. And Genesis 1 tells us, though, that when God had finished everything, and I joked before that Mark has been able to say, it was good, 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 and then it was very good, something happened. Something happened. After six days, we know that there was no crime, there was no poverty, there was no sickness, there was no death, uh, there were no broken homes, there were no latchkey children, uh, there were no abusive husbands, there was no such thing as divorce, there were not drug pushers, there weren't people that were involved in uh, trafficking young children. What God created back in the beginning was pure and perfect and pristine. I like saying those three words. They all start with P, don't they? Pure, perfect, and pristine. See, the whole earth was a place of peace and tranquility. It's no wonder that what came out of the hand of God we call paradise. Paradise on earth. Just think about that. Now, obviously, something had was gone wrong with that world when it was paradise at the end of chapter 1 and even 2 because all those things that were not there 
at the beginning are all found in abundance today. One only needs to look at television, read the news, take a look at what happens around you just in Taney or Stone County. You see things are a lot different than in paradise. Today, roses actually have thorns on them. We have bombs today that could kill 10 or 20 million with no problem, whatever. So what happened to the paradise that God created? Well, the Bible puts it rather succinctly. In fact, it puts it in one simple little three-letter word that's spelled S-I-N. And the middle letter in sin is what? I. Guess who's the problem? I are. <laughs> we are. It's sin. Sin has happened in this world, and, and nothing has been right, nothing has worked ever since. And yet the Bible does not tell us everything there is to know about sin. I find that kind of interesting. For example, we're not clearly taught as to where sin had its origin, origin from the beginning. The serpent suddenly shows up now in chapter 3 uh, with no introduction at all. He's just simply there, pops up in the garden, going about his diabolical work. So as we approach our text today, we need to keep a couple of things in mind. One of them is what we're going to look at today is history. Uh, it is not a myth. It is not a legend. It is not some saga or poetry. There really was a serpent that really could talk. Uh, there really was a woman who was named Eve who really ate that real fruit and gave it to her real husband, Adam, who also ate. And that's the true account of the very first temptation and the first human sin. But we know sin had already entered the picture prior to that first human sin. The second thing we need to take into account as we go through these first seven verses here in, in Genesis is that this story also teaches us an important truth about how the devil works, how the devil still tempts us today. Now, I grew up in Nebraska. I'm a Cornhusker fan. I'm unapologetic for that. Go Big Red. On game day, football, Nebraska, Lincoln Journal growing up, always had a big article, it was called, Know the Foe. Know the Foe. And so if they were playing Oklahoma that day, the article told us everything we needed to know about the University of Oklahoma, who we hated. I even told my children when they moved to Tulsa, you can live there, but do not have any children in that state. <laughs> That's the way it works, right, in rivalries. So we could watch and we know, okay, they're going to run a wishbone, but we're going to run this defense. You need to know the foe. And so through, though these events took place thousands of years ago, I think they have an amazing relevance to 21st century because Satan has not changed his game plan because he, it continues to work and it works well. We ought to know this story of the first temptation and before committing his force to a battle, I think like a good general, we need to understand how the attacking armies are going to treat us. Where does he attack? Uh, how does he do it? How, when does he do it? How often is he going to come after us? Uh, what conditions are ripe for you to be tempted to do sin? 
what are your chances of surviving the onslaught of the devil? And, and so we're going to take a look at four different stages. And the first stage is the approach. The approach is subtle and it is unexpected. Look what the text says. It says, now the serpent was what? More crafty. What does that mean? Sneaky little bugger, wasn't he? It's, it was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, there, there are some things we know and some things we don't know about this story because it's not in Scripture. We know that the serpent is actually the devil. We know that because in Revelation 21, verse 9, it says that old serpent, that's the devil. But where did the serpent come from? How did the devil gain entry into what was good, 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 very good paradise? How did he get into that whole process? What did he look like? Now, most of the pictures we have, he's just a slithery old snake up in a tree, in an apple tree. I mean, that's our myth. Some people actually say he may have been a dinosaur of kinds. I don't know. And, and while we're on, this, uh, on the subject, uh, how could he talk? Isn't it interesting? A talking serpent. I've been to lots of zoos all around the world. I've never seen one talk. Hiss, maybe, but not talk. And actually, we might as well ask, were all the animals talking at that time? Was this like Dr. Doolittle's garden? All the animals talked? Well, the answer to all of those questions, I can boil it down into three words. I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us any answers to questions like that, and evidently it either doesn't matter or perhaps God would have told us so. But I think it's very clear from what follows here in the text is that Eve had no idea what was about to happen. Now, why should she? I mean, after all, she lived where? In paradise. She was in the Garden of Eden. Good, 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 good. very good. That's where she was living. It's not as if she got up that day and said, maybe I've ever had my own little private time this morning, my quiet time, because later I'm going to end up talking to a snake who's going to tempt me to sin, and if I get it in, I'm going to bring heartache and misery and sadness and murder and mayhem to millions and billions of people. I don't think that's what's going through her mind when she got up that morning. She was not expecting to encounter a talking serpent, to be tempted to commit the first human sin. She wasn't looking for the serpent, but guess what? The serpent was looking for her. That's why I said, we're not out looking for bad stuff, are we? Bad stuff is looking for us. Now, I kind of picture her walking along the banks of one of those three rivers that flowed through the Garden of Eden, probably a sunny day. She probably felt some breeze blowing through her hair. She could feel that nice grass underneath her bare feet. Uh, the flowers are in full bloom, the birds are chirping, and it was what we would call, what, another day in paradise. And then she spots the serpent. Guess what? I don't know what happens if you see a snake. What do you do? Yikes is one of the first words that comes out of my mouth. I hate those buggers. I hate them. Uh, most of you do. I don't think, oh, a snake. No. 
But she is not the least bit shocked. She's not even in fear at all. Now, the question is, why should she be? Where is she at? She is in paradise. The creature before her is stunningly beauty, beautiful. Now, how do we know that? Because God said everything was good, 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 and very good. Beautiful, good looking. His voice probably somewhat captivating. And he was also very cunning in how he approached all this. But understand, temptation generally comes when we least expect it. In fact, when everything is going well in your life, I want to suggest to you that you better duck. See, most of the time we think temptation comes when we're really down, when things are really bad, this is when it's going to come. But I want to suggest to you that quite often when everything is going well in your life and you're kind of like, okay, I got it from here. You can sit over here for a while, God. I think I got this. And that's when the snake shows up. See, our instincts just tell us, no, it should be the other way around, but that's just not the way it works. So when everything is going well, tighten your belt a little bit. You may be in for a bumpy ride. That's stage number one. Let's take a look at stage number two. It's the strategy that's involved. It involves conversation and controversy. Going on in our text, the serpent said to the woman, and here's the title of our message, did God really say? planting a seed already. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You've got to give it to the snake here. That first move is absolutely brilliant. He challenges Eve to a game of Bible trivia. What happens next is kind of a little three-part conversation here in our text in which the serpent speaks, Eve responds, and then the serpent speaks one more time. And the whole exchange, I don't know if it lasted more than a minute. It probably went almost that quick. The serpent's Bible trivia question is this. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, that's a pretty clever question when you stop and think about it. After all, Eve was not around when God initially told Adam that, gave him those instructions. She had to rely on her husband's uh, explanation, so the question here really turns on that word, really. In fact, as I looked at all different translations, one translation begins with the word, really? (laughs) You almost speak to the snake, kind of, really? Really? Did God really say that? Who are you kidding? The question boils down to this. How well did Eve know the word of God? It's a good question for all of us. How well do you know the word of God? And do you know enough to do battle when temptation comes? As we're going to see, Eve actually knows it well, but she does not know it well enough because she has a general idea of what God said, but she's kind of hazy in these details. And the serpent is going to jump on her right away because of her kind of lack of specific knowledge. And in her response, Eve makes several mistakes. One, she downplays the permission. God had said they could eat from any tree 
of the garden. Eve lessens that impact a little bit by saying she changes from any tree to the tree. Very subtle, but just a small little change. She also adds to the prohibition. God had forbidden them to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but Eve added the phrase, and you shouldn't even touch it. Again, subtle change in what God said. She also downplays the judgment for disobedience. God said, you will surely die, which in the Hebrew is eventually death is going to come. And she said, uh, you will die. It's like, touch it, you're dead. Again, very subtle difference here. Now, where would have Eve gotten her information from? Well, we're going to say got it from Adam, which means that either Adam incorrectly gave her the information, or maybe Adam would just said, hey, I can't go through all this. Just don't touch it, Eve. You got it? Just don't touch it. I don't know how that happened. Maybe he suggested it's a logical way to keep her away from that. But either way, the net effect is to make God sound whole lot more restrictive than he actually is. But there's a greater point that we shouldn't miss here, and that's that if you're going to talk to the devil, make sure you quote God's word correctly. Do you know who knows the Bible probably better than you or I? Or Pastor Mark? Satan. I mean, he knows him. Satan knows what God really said. See, when we're tempted, we're, we're never going to be delivered by a general knowledge of Scripture. It won't help us to sort of know the answer. Uh, we must know and we must stand on what God actually said. So why did Eve get into trouble here? I think there's two reasons. One is she did not know the truth of the Word of God. That was part of her problem. Second, she shouldn't have been talking God's Word with the serpent in the first place. That was another problem she had. She should have asked Adam, who we can see a little bit later, was obviously there with her. So what do you think, honey? Is he making any sense? At which point, Adam should have said no and hacked his head off with a hoe. <laughs> Anybody who thinks that they are on even ground in a debate with Satan are sadly mistaken. So we learn from this that when you're tempted, don't stop to talk it over. When Potiphar's wife is trying to drag you into bed, don't say, let's pray about this first. That's what I'm saying here. You need to run for your life. You need to leave your jacket on the bed and go home. Don't negotiate with the devil and don't think it over with his representatives. And by the way, his representatives are dressed pretty interestingly too. They may be sitting next to you. Uh-oh, <laughs> that landed a little close to home, didn't it? Yeah, it could be your best friend. Could be a family member. Could be a co-worker, somebody else that you know pretty well. The devil sometimes uses people we love to lead us astray, believe it or not. Your best defense against temptation will always be an accurate knowledge of the Word of God. Know it, read it memorize it, and quote it when the devil comes a-knocking. How many of you are familiar with Promise Keepers? You ever hear that? There's a big men's movement back a number of years ago. E.V. Hill, black pastor from Los Angeles, spoke at one of the ones I went to, and I still remember it to this day. He said, you, you remember when uh, the devil came to tempt Jesus 
And every time he said to do something, what did Jesus do? Jesus hit him with the scriptures. He'd say, you know, throw yourself off the angel. Oh, no, Jesus hit him with the scriptures. And then E.B. Hill goes on in the typical black pastor way. He says, so when the devil comes calling, hit him with the scriptures. I'm telling you, hit him with the scriptures. When the Satan comes and he's tempting you to rock, hit him with the scriptures to the point where you can go, come here, baby, and hit him again. I've always remembered that. It's such an astounding thing. Know the word of God and use the word of God. Now, let's take a look at step stage number three. Stage three, the conversation leads to doubt and desire here. Picking up, you shall surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the, women, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and was desirable for getting wisdom, and we're going to stop at that point. At this point, the serpent openly denies what God has said. In the Hebrew, the expression is really strong here. Literally, it says, not, <laughs> not, you shall not certainly die. The serpent just took the very phrase God had used and put the word not in front of it. Which means, by the way, that in this instant, the devil knew the word of God better than Eve did. That's why you better know your Bible before you start arguing with the devil. He's not only smarter than you, but he knows God's word through and through. His big problem is what? He just doesn't believe it. See, the first doctrine that is denied by the devil is really the, the doctrine of God's judgment. God said, you will certainly die. Satan says, oh no, you're not going to certainly die. Now, I, I always wondered if this is the denial of one of the first doctrines. Why didn't Satan pick on uh, the existence of God or the deity of Christ or Christ's resurrection? I think the answer is pretty simple. If you are convinced that you can get away with sin, sooner or later you're going to actually do it. Did you get that? If you know that, if you think you can get away with it, sooner or later you'll probably do it. See, if you think no one is ever going to know, that no one will notice if you ever, and, and no one will ever call you on account for your actions, you'll eventually give in. I mean, why not commit adultery? Why not steal? Why not take money that's not yours if you can get away with it? If there are no consequences, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to indulge in your wildest fantasies. But then the serpent actually goes ahead and questions God's goodness. He implies that God is holding something back from them. That Eve, that would make Eve happy you'll be like God. That's a pretty big incentive, isn't it? How many people would like to be like God? How many of you ever said, well, if I was God? You ever start a sentence that way? I think I probably have. <laughs> to which you should all say, oh, please, no. <laughs> Don't make him God. Because I would smoke you with a bowl of lightning from here if I got really cranky. The serpent's words were designed to cause Eve to feel deprived and cheated here. 
And so now you've got this downward spiral taking place. Eve listened when she shouldn't have been listening. She talked when she shouldn't have been talking. She thought about what the devil said when she should have just told him to hit the road and not listen at all. And now she's about ready to fall into his trap, and her response reveals just how clever the devil really is. And right now, he has got her hook, line, and sinker on three different levels. He's got her on the practical level. The fruit was good to eat. That's the lust of the flesh. He's got her on the emotional level. It looked beautiful to her. No doubt it even smelled good. And that's the lust of the eyes. And he's got her on the spiritual level because it would make her wise. And that is the pride of life. So he's got her hook, line, and sinker. She's a goner. She doesn't even know what hit her. Now, to be fair, I'm sure that that fruit, whatever it was, probably looked really good. Why? Good, 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 very good. I have a feeling it smelled really good. She probably took it in her hands, rolled it around a little bit, sniffed it a little bit. But please remember, friends, when you start fondling forbidden fruit, you're already on the downhill climb, slide. You've committed the sin in your heart long before you ever take that first bite. If you don't want to get trapped, don't stop and inspect the fruit. That's why Joseph left his coat in Potiphar's wife's bedroom. Don't spend time thinking about how nice it would be, how good it would be, how it would feel, and how much you actually deserve it. And let's be honest with ourselves this morning. We all play that game, and we play that game pretty well with God. Well, I know God says adultery is wrong, but uh, I really do love that guy. I really do love that girl. Or, I know God hates divorce, but man, if you knew who I was married to. Or, I know God calls me to purity, but you know, I'm single, and single people have needs. Or, I know God says stealing is wrong, but uh, I mean, everybody does it, so why not me? Mark it down, friends. When you start saying, I know God said, dot, 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 and then you, the next word out of your mouth is, but, dot, 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 you are on the verge of making a decision that you will regret. So there are several really crucial lessons here. When, when you doubt God's goodness, sin is not going to seem so bad. Satan wants you to feel deprived by God, that you're just not getting what you deserve. Uh, we can always justify disobedience if we try hard enough. And so the downward spiral is almost complete here. First, you talk with the devil. Second, you believe the devil. Third, you obey the devil. And fourth, you're conquered by the devil. How many of you were confirmed in eighth grade? Quite a few of you, some of you that belong to this little organization called Lutherans. I was confirmed many years ago, in fact, so long ago that when the pastor put his hand on my head, he put it on a butched, waxed flat top. And only a few of you will even know what that was. 
but he pronounced my confirmation verse over my head from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or whose seat is in the, in the way of the scornful, but who meditates on the law, both whose joys in the, in the Lord's law. I immediately thought he's talking about my friends. I have used this passage in prison, I don't know how many times, because every prisoner at Angola knows this. There's a time when you are walking with bad people. And there are times when you stop to talk to them. And once you start to talk to them, the next step is what? Sit down and start making plans. That's the death spiral of getting you into trouble. There's nothing new under the sun, under the sun friends. What the serpent did to Eve, he still do, uses the same strategy today. Why? It works. Well, let's take a look at stage four. The result is collaboration and catastrophe. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to who? Oh, no, let's not bring men into this. Well, she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. The eyes of both were opened and they realized they were naked. Oh, you didn't hear the sermon last week. Naked was really a good deal for a while. And now it's not a good deal. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, if you, if you look at all of verse 6, you'll see some interesting verbs here. She saw, she took, she gave, she and he ate. Now, evidently, she doesn't hesitate. And evidently, neither does Adam. Eve has now joined the, certain, the serpent's team. And by giving the fruit to Adam, she's actually doing Satan's dirty work for him and dragging her husband down into this pit of sin along with her. See, that's what happens when we yield to temptation. We cannot sin all by ourselves. We never fall alone. Because our sin, eventually, when it's found out, ends up damaging other people. There's a lot of collateral damage sometimes because of what we've done or what we've said. See, we stand together, we fall together, and in the end, we all suffer together. But notice how ordinary this sin is. I, I had a student one time, he said, this doesn't seem like a big deal. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, it's just a bite of fruit. I mean, how bad can that be? Nothing special about it. I mean, the first sin was not murder. I mean, the first sin was not some terrible sexual crime. It's just ordinary. It's something we've all done. We've all had a bite of something or other. And I can imagine that when Eve took a bite, and maybe when Adam took the bite, Eve maybe said to herself, you know, honey, this is really good. This, oh, man, this is really good. And guess what? You can have a bite, too. Because, look, I even touched it, and I didn't die. This is the best fruit I've ever had. Well, it should have been, because good, 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 very good. It should have been good. Now, when let's get to this hard question. Where was Adam while all of this was taking place? Up to this time, guys, you probably felt pretty good about yourself. Maybe. Lousy women, we wouldn't be in the situation we were in today if it wasn't for her having to feed us fruit all the time and other vegetables. And we'd just eat meat, we could have been happy. Well, the text here says he was what? 
with her. <laughs> now, it sounds like he was standing right by her side while she's talking. And I don't know what I don't know what this looked like, but I could almost picture Adam standing by the side with kind of a silly grin on his face, saying, "This is really kind of interesting. Watching my wife do battle with this snake. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he thought it was just some cute little parlor game." But if Adam had been a true spiritual leader, and guys, I'm going to talk a little bit to you and to myself with this, but if you've been a true spiritual leader, he would have taken a hoe and hacked that serpent's head right off. And the world would have been a whole lot better place if he had done something about it right back then. Now, there's another Bible passage in 1 Timothy. It says, it draws an important conclusion about this. It says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and fell into transgression. So it was Eve who was tricked by the devil, and perhaps he came to her because he knew that she was more susceptible. I don't, I don't know. But men, understand this. Adam was not deceived. He was not deceived. He heard the original command from God, and he knew it was wrong to eat the fruit. He was not tricked at all. But as the head of the family and as the head of the entire human race, he was held morally culpable for that very first sin. She may have done it, but guess what? Through Adam, he infected everybody. Romans 5:12. I don't know if this is beyond the I guess it is. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Isn't that interesting? That's what Paul says. And Mark would concur because Romans is his favorite book. He likes this verse. And through death, through sin, death came to all men because all sin, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. I'm not going to say much more about that verse because... I don't want to preach Mark's sermon for him next week. He's going to talk about this. All I'm saying, friends, is that Adam should have known better. I mean, he should have known better. He should have exercised leadership to protect his wife, and he should have killed that snake when he had the chance, but he didn't, and guess what? The rest is history. So if I would speak to you man to man, guys, we all, and I include myself in this, we need to learn a lesson, and sometimes men are slow learners. But when you fail to exercise spiritual leadership, your wife and your kids will always pay the price. And I say that from experience. I say that not only because of what I've seen sometimes when I failed to do that, and when I've also seen it in the other people's lives. If you don't take a stand to be the man of that family and exercise spiritual leadership and spiritual authority, you're damaging that woman you married and the children who've come into that family. Now, I don't think Eve ever dreamed what was going to happen. I mean, she truly thought that she was going to be, she would gain wisdom. But her eyes, and Adam's eyes, were open, and suddenly they realized what? They were naked. Innocence gone forever, and the full effect of their disobedience began to hit home. Now they were actually ashamed to see each other naked. And they make this pitiful covering of fig leaves, uh, but, but friends, sinners can never adequately, adequately cover up their sin. Fig leaves keep falling off, and they're hard to find. So how did Adam and Eve end up like this? 
Well, it was a series of little itty-bitty steps in the wrong direction. She should never have listened. She had no business stopping to talk with the serpent. She should have known God's word accurately. She should never have spent time thinking about how wonderful this fruit looked and how much fun it would be to have a bite and to be smart. She should never have given the fruit to her husband, and he should have intervened to stop it right then and there. He came to Eve with an innocent question. But little by little, he led her to a place where she was willing to do something that she probably would have never ever thought about doing, which is to create a world that has fallen. And she, he even convinced her to co-opt her husband into this deal. And friends, the devil uses that same strategy today because it works. It really does. I mean, notice his ultimate lie. He said, God knows, you will know. He took a truth, and man, he twisted that sucker violently. When they sinned, their eyes were open, and they truly did know, didn't they? They now knew evil on a personal basis. See, the wisdom they thought could never be found came through rebellion. The enlightenment they dreamed about, it turned out to be deep moral darkness. It's no wonder that they were ashamed. Satan promised liberation through rebellion. But, you know, every temptation, and I think if I look back, if I could actually think of all the times I've ever been tempted, I, I don't want to do that, but if I could, I would probably tell you that every temptation it was wrapped in a promise of freedom. I mean, Satan is the father of lies. You know, I, I think about how, how today, as a result, we're all born with kind of a clenched fist daring God to tell us what to do. Human nature now is thoroughly corrupt. We're born that way, we live that way, we die that way. The Bible says we're conceived in sin, we're born in sin, and if you want a seminary word, concupiscence, we just plain simple are sin. Now if I said amen, you'd kind of go, oh my gosh, that was a load of bad news today. And guess what? It is bad news. It is bad news. And guess what? It's also true news. It's true news because this passage tells us the truth about why humanity is so messed up today. It is a direct correlation between what took place in chapter 3, page 3 of the Bible, and the pain and the sorrow and the sadness and the despair and the hatred and the rampant evil around. We're this way because of Adam and Eve. But I don't want to leave you with just bad news. I'm going to sum up the rest of the Bible. I'm not going to steal Pastor Mark's thunder because he needs to go on in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and wherever far he wants to go. But let me just summarize very quickly the rest of the Bible because this is, this is where the good news comes. And I had to write this out, and I'm just going to read it the way I wrote it. It's probably a little choppy. After the fall, God's heart was moved to reestablish a relationship with fallen men and women. Thousands of years later, he made the ultimate move when his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to earth to die for us. The first sin came from tasting forbidden fruit. The evil of that day would not be overcome until Christ tasted death for all of us on the cross. It took the bloody death of the Son of God to reverse the impact of what happened in Eden. So you see, friends, the, the really good news is that through Jesus, 
All of our sins can be forgiven. Apart from the grace of God, we can commit all kinds of sins, no, no doubt about it, but through the cross of Christ, even the worst things we've ever done can be forgiven. That's because God promised a way out. But I'm going to leave that up to Mark next week. Let's pray. Father, as we hear these words, we think about the story of Adam and Eve in this perfect place. Sometimes we wonder, how could they mess up a perfect place? But then we look at our own lives and see how we've messed up a lot of things that were perfect as well, at least humanly speaking. We know sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, but sin has continued in our lives, so we've not taken those hard stands against easy rights. We've not resisted temptation by knowing your word well and reminding him that he is the world's first loser as well. We thank you for the wonderful gift that your son gave us through his death on the cross and then his resurrection from the grave. Stir our hearts within us so that as we look at life, rather than to say, well, I know you said, but, that we get rid of that phrase and just say, we know this is what you said and therefore this is what we will do it, we will do. We thank you for that the good news is always through Jesus, that all of our sins truly can be forgiven. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.